Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. From WDEV in Waterbury, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint, live radio, where we talk to everyone building the new Vermont and protecting the old one. I'm Kevin Ellis in the chair and at the mic. And we'll take you behind the headlines to explain what just happened yesterday on town meeting and how this state really works. And to do that, we'll talk to a series of guests that know it all. It's Wednesday, March 8th, and we have a pack show, so let's move fast. We'll start, of course, with town meeting day. We were back in our gyms and schools to vote and debate. I'll get into it with Secretary of State Sarah Copeland Hansis and others. And then in the 10 a.m. hour, we're going to have a visit with Montpelier boys basketball coach Nick Foster, whose team upset an undefeated crosstown rival Spalding High School at the Barry Auditorium to advance to the championship game for the fourth straight year. It's a story you don't want to miss. I was there in person in the front row of the bleachers sitting with all the old timers. And, uh, boy, that was a fun, fun game to watch. Um, but first... Some headlines. Uh, the legislature is off this week for the town meeting recess. As far as I remember, they never used to take the week off over town meeting. I vaguely remember the first year they did it. It was about 10, 15 years ago. It, it, and they did it for a storm or might have been the, uh, the invasion of Kuwait. I can't exactly remember, but something required them to take the week off. And then they just uh, continued doing it. Um, and it is a chance for members to visit their constituents, report into them at town meeting. I know in East Montpelier, our representative, Ella Chapin, was uh, there to give a report. Um, secretly, though, uh, they need rest uh, because while, yes, they only work uh, half the year, uh, that work is very intense and uh, they look forward to uh, at least some some rest. Uh, but I guarantee you there's a lot of strategizing going on over the phones and email among legislative leaders trying to figure out how to land a very big airplane in a Vermont field. And that plane this year is loaded with bills on child care, paid family leave, universal school meals, and a climate change bill, among other initiatives. All of that comes with a price tag. And uh, they, that plane is high in the air right now, halfway through the legislative session. And they have a, with a wary eye on Governor Phil Scott, uh, who is uh, looking at them and seeing how much money they're going to spend. And they'll all try to land this uh, plane this spring, uh, having done it all. We'll see how that works out. Now, to town meeting. There's something wonderful about filling out your ballot, right? You walk into the East Montpelier Elementary School, you're greeted by a familiar face that knows exactly what they're doing. They hand you a ballot. You fill in the circles, whether it's for the school budget or all, or, or various elections, you drop it in the box. No controversy, no fake election denial, just pure D democracy. And then it's into the gym where the meeting is going on. Dairy farmer Seth Gardner, Gardner is there chairing the select board. Michael Duane is the moderator with his tiny little hammer, which he taps 
on the table after each article is passed. The legendary woodsman Paul Kate and his wife Sandal are in the front row as always. Nona Estrin is there discussing the damage to the East Montpelier Trail Network by the Christmas storm. Paul gives a quick seminar on how most of the downed trees are white pines and vulnerable to the horned beetle and therefore worthless to loggers for pulpwood. The road crew is thanked and the art, despite my, my annual complaints about them leaving most of the salt grit and uh, stones on my front lawn, but but uh, Guthrie Perry and the crew get a big thank you, and I share in that. Uh, and the articles are efficiently disposed of. Money for the Kellogg Hubbard Library, the Senior Center, the Four Corners Schoolhouse. I learned that Seth Gardner, the chair of the select board, is not just a dairy farmer. He is a farrier and a breeder of polo horses who makes an annual trip to Florida to play polo. Didn't know that. He has an encyclopedic mastery of the town budget and everything in the town report. And you watch him. He's almost disappointed that the assembly does not have more questions, that it goes that smoothly. He's just waiting to have to, dis- to, to discuss the intricacies of all the spending in the budget. There's Ginny Callan, the former owner of the old Horn of the Moon Cafe in downtown Montpelier. Michael Dworkin is there, the former chair of the Vermont Public Utility Commission. There are two elementary school students handling the microphone so people can hear. The crowd is sprinkled with planning commissioners, school board members, zoning board people. The town clerk is recording everything, and local musician and celebrity Colin McCaffrey is there handling the sound system What looks from what looks like an iPad. There are a few changes this year, at least for me. I'm, I've missed a few meetings, and maybe this happened three years ago. But upon entrance to the school, you're asked whether you have brought your ballots with you. And I said, no, I, not, I'm here to vote. I'm not bringing my ballots with me. They look at me oddly because, as I am later to discover, all the ballots were mailed out to every voter in East Montpelier, and we are expected to fill out those ballots and bring them with us. But me being an old-timer, I did not uh, adhere to that expectation. So you you uh, you fill out your ballot, and then you you drop one of them in a, a through the slot in a basket. Used to be an old wooden box. Now it's a little more modern plastic one. Uh, then... Two more ballots, I think one for the school board and one for something else, I can't remember, go into a scanner. It's kind of a a plastic box with a computer on it, and uh, the scanner read my ballot while I stood there, and there was a green check mark as I walked away. So electronic ballots have come to Little East Montpelier. Made me a little uncomfortable, but uh, I can certainly see how it makes things easier. Uh, we're, we'll discuss all of this with Secretary of State Sarah Copeland Hansis, who is, uh, who's, uh, gonna join us in a few minutes. Um, there was one glitch. Uh, couldn't quite figure it out, but the, the article about, uh, East Montpelier's, um, contribution of several thousand dollars to the Kellogg Hubbard Library in Montpelier has to be revoted. I mean, it was scandalous. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to re-vote, uh, 
the appropriation for the Kellogg Hubbard Library, and I'm not exactly sure how that's – I think there's a special meeting. Now, if there's anybody out there in East Montpelier, are you listening, Seth Gardner? Uh, if you're in the barn listening, call us at 244-1777 and tell us why I have to revote the Kellogg Hubbard Library uh, appropriation that pa- that that – uh, we didn't pass it because we have to wait and do it again. Um, but uh, we'll, uh, you know, uh, the, the the mothers and fathers of East Montpelier will uh, will take care of that. I have full confidence. Uh, and guess what? Actually, you know what? We can ask the question directly. We have the Secretary of State for the state of Vermont, Sarah Copeland, hands us. Uh, she's putting on her microphone and she's swinging the microphone. Uh, she's putting on her headphones and swinging the microphone around. Uh, and uh, we can either wait till after the break. Can you hear me? Not, not through here, no. Okay. Can we'll, you hear me? We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll Greg, through the window. We're a highly oiled operation oh, here. Yeah. Here we go. And in the meantime, let's do this. We'll take a call from Fred and then we'll take a break while we get uh, the Secretary of State Settled. Fred, welcome to the show. Do you have any town meeting news? Uh, actually, I do not. I just have a comment. It is not a town meeting either. You're, a you're, general comment. you're violating the protocol. Oh, I am? Well, you can <laughs> tell me to go. <laughs> go ahead, Fred. Hey, look, uh, this is sort of like a personal thing. I know you have a couple of boys, and I think you should, if you can... Make a backpack trip down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, and you'll find that that is the most exciting thing you could possibly ever do. I mean, it is so unbelievable. And then the only other way you can top that off is to climb the highest mountain in the lower 48, and that's Mount Whitney, over 14,000 feet high. That would be a bucket list that you will never forget in your life. You know, Fred, I am way ahead of you, okay? I have done the no, Grand Canyon. No, you haven't done that. <laughs> I did the Grand Canyon when I was tw- 10 years old, and uh, I... How did, hey, how did you go down to the Grand Canyon? How did you do it? We, uh, we, we, we went down there, we rafted through uh, down the river, and then we climbed out of the canyon... At, oh God, I'm going to say it's Canyon Ranch or Lava Falls. Or, I don't know. I was 10. What, tra- what trail did you use? Because there's, 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 there's two trails. Did you go to Harvest, did you go to Harvest Suve Indian Reservation when you were down there? Probably. And I do remember oh. going to Gallup, New Mexico. Uh, well, anyway, anyway. So anyway, have you climbed Mount Whitney? I have not climbed Mount Whitney. Hey, if you can do Mount Whitney, you ought to do it. It is unbelievable. It's well, an unbelievable trip. Okay. Uh, I I did it I did it about uh, uh, let's see forty nine years ago with three friends and we spent the night up there and we were the three highest dudes in the continental United States that day with both feet on the ground. You're the man, Fred. Thanks for calling. I got to take a break and then come back with uh, a high level uh, state official. Uh, we're 
We're on Vermont Viewpoint. We're talking about town meeting, and we've got Secretary of State Sarah Copeland-Hans is coming back after the break. You're listening to WDEV. Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. I'm Kevin Ellis. Our guest is Secretary of State Sarah Copeland-Hansis, and we're going to talk all things town meeting. Welcome to the show. It's so good to be here. But before we do, we got to go to the phones because we've got a we've got a big issue to deal with, and we've got Scott and Eastmod Pillier. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. Yes, this is this is a major, major ground shaking uh, Vermont issue. The yes, the issue. I'm a resident of Montpelier, actually just elected to the select board. East East Montpelier. I'm sorry, East Montpelier. Where am I? Anyway, yes, it was the Kellogg, the uh, the library, Kellogg Library. Um, it was inadvertently left off of the ballot by mistake. Got it. Therefore, the Secretary of State suggested it, we need to, it needs to be warned um, 30 days in advance and then have a town, uh, the town forum, the town meeting, 10 days before the vote. So that's going to happen very, very quickly. And because it's more than 25,000, actually 46,764 level funding for the library, um, it could not be voted because it's more than 25,000 on a floor vote. So there's your uh, there's your recap, Kevin. Wow, and 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 now to the important stuff. You were elected to the select board. Yes, I was. I, oh, um, it was a, it was a tough Ford election, but uh, yes, I am. I uh, ran for the two year term for East Montpelier, and I'm uh, thrilled to represent the town and uh, and to get to work. And you know, you listeners out there, uh, Scott's too. Uh, Modest to say it, but what he's doing is he's replacing his wife Amy on the select board. <laughs> this is true. Well, you know, we're keeping we're keeping the legacy. That's but we right. wanted uh, the three. And by the way, the three-year term, uh, nobody ran for, so the uh, the select board will be um, will be uh, filling that position. So anybody that lives in East Montpelier, and uh, we'll be putting out uh, obviously a message and uh, some information, and uh, we need to fill that three-year term. So uh, Great. anyway. Well, your information, Kevin. thank you for your service, and thanks for calling in. Thank you, Kevin. Have a good show. You do, I, you do a great job. Okay. I can't wait for the special meeting at, yeah. in East Montpelier to deal with the Kellogg Hubbard Library revote. Absolutely. Yeah. Got to make sure we protect our libraries. Madam Secretary, you are it – is, it is middle of March. You have been in this office for a couple of months. How's it going? Um you know, it's really an amazing group of people. Yeah. These are public servants who's, uh, you know, who wake up every day saying, let's do good work for Vermonters. And how can we do that work better? How can we be more efficient, more responsive? So it's a really great place to, uh, to jump in and, and a really great time to jump in and say, awesome. What, what do we need to change to do this better? Uh, how did town meeting go uh, from a 30,000-foot level? Uh, any any giant problems that you encountered? Not a, not, not that you're in charge no, of municipal elections. That is true. Yeah, we are uh, in the office on town meeting day as a resource to, to the local town clerks who are in charge of conducting the election and, and supporting the work of the annual meeting for their community. So we don't have a lot of uh, direct... 
um, duties, but we do uh, make sure that we're on the phone lines and answering questions because there's always going to be a question about, oh, you know, oops, we accidentally left a candidate's name off the ballot. What do we do? Well, not unlike leaving Kellogg Hubbard Library off the East Montpelier ballot, you have to come back and have another special meeting. So, right. you know, there's, there's, it's not earth shattering, but there are definitely, you know, are little hiccups along the way and communities figure out how to move forward with the support and advice of the Secretary of State's office. Is, um, I noticed that most everything passed. I noticed the Barry school budget did not pass. Uh, but it was almost at the urging of the school board, which it seems like everybody wanted to spend more money in Barry. But uh, the uh, my Pillier uh, town meeting was the same as always, with the exception of uh, I was mailed paper ballots before the meet some months before the meeting, and I was asked when I walked into my meeting, "Did you bring your paper ballot?" And I thought, "Oh, that's new." Mm. Um, so talk to us about paper ballots and how that's going yeah. uh, in terms of statewide elections. Sure. Right? Yeah. And so as folks know, we do universal vote by mail for the general election. So that's every even-numbered year in November. Uh, it is not an automatic mailing of a ballot for municipal or for for the primary election but some municipalities have chosen, like East Montpelier apparently did, have chosen to mail ballots. Um, I think that voters, by and large, really appreciate the ability to spend time with their ballot, to look at who's running, to do a little research, ask their neighbors, uh, you know, call up the town clerk. Many town clerks report that they are sort of the the providers of information, you know, oh, that candidate is the, you know, the person who lives down at the Jones farm, <laughs> you know. Right. And uh, so when you vote by mail, um, you have your choice of whether you want to return it in the mail, drop it off at any time leading up to Election Day, or as you did, just show up and say, no, I didn't want to vote my mailed ballots. I'd, I'd prefer for you to give me a ballot. And so we leave those flexibilities in place so that if you forgot to grab your ballots off the kitchen table, which I did, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So you can still vote. It's not it's not as if um, your your right to vote is going to be denied because you forgot to bring those ballots in. It's more helpful if you do, because then overall we don't have to print quite so many ballots. And the notion of voter integrity the ballot could fall into the wrong hands and uh, be the the wrong person can be voted for, and then they show up and they I don't know illegally get it by the clerk or something. It sounds crazy to me, but um, uh, hell, at Nice Montpelier, Rosie Leclerc at the town clerk's gonna recognize me and say, no, no, that's not your ballot. But mm-hmm. it sounds like. Uh, we have a pretty efficient mail ballot system going on here. We do. And, and you know, people worry about uh, folks voting illegally, but we just don't see evidence of it. Yeah. Um, you know, we have good systems in place, good checks in place. And, and I would encourage people who are curious about it to go with an open mind and talk to their town clerk. Walk me through how you send out ballots when people request them or how you take them back in when they've been returned to you. And, you know, I think people would find that there are a lot of safeguards in place. 
Uh, you are the chief election official for the state of Vermont. Yes. I noticed that the, I'm going to get this wrong, the House of Representatives passed some sort of uh, voting uh, uh, change, mm-hmm. and it's on its way to the Senate. There was some, uh, uh, I'm not going to say belly aching, uh, complaining by those on the progressive wing about what was going on there. Do you have a handle on that? Because I certainly don't. Well, there was a lot of uh, a lot of political back and forth, and you know that that is the appropriate place for these more partisan political conversations to happen. Um, but what's the issue that they're trying to get at? Um, that that the bill is trying to address. So, uh, the I think the committee, when they put forward the bill, was really trying to. Um, strengthen the integrity of the three-party system. Yeah. And so they had talked about not allowing fusion candidacies so that someone could go and get both the Democrat and Republican uh, nomination and and therefore ice out somebody else from being able to run. I see. You know, be appointed by that committee after the primary. Um, that that fusion candidacy is still allowed. Um, so, so if someone gets both nominations, either by a write-in for another party, or uh, by by appointment by the committee after the after the primary, you can still be a fusion candidate. Um, fusion so, candidate being you get the nomination of both the Democratic Party and the Progressive Party, or the Democrat and the Republican. Or right, exactly. Um, yeah, I can yeah. think of several who have gotten yeah. both Democrat and Republican nominations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the provision of the bill that that did remain though was the this what is being called the sore loser law, which is to say that if you run in the let's say you run in the Republican primary, you lose, but the Democrats hadn't nominated anybody, so you go over to the Democrats and say, "Will you nominate me?" And then you get a second chance at the, the seat because you lost. So they're disallowing that in the bill as it stands now. So you can't be a candidate um, for another major party if you lost the primary that you entered. So as the former chair of the House Government Operations Committee in the legislature, you uh, dealt with all the, this chicanery. Yes. Now you are the administrator, the umpire, the referee. Right. Which do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I think it's important to for the Secretary of State to to you know to stand up, take a look at the entire landscape, and say what's fair, what can we implement, what can we help our town clerks implement for changes. And leave the legislature to the the, the partisan battles. And uh, you know, as long as they're not doing something that uh, that appears to be against the law or against the constitution or impossible to administer, um, you know, we'll we will go along and answer their questions about how to how to accomplish what they're trying to do. There is one provision in this bill that I'm really excited about. Do we have a minute to talk about it? Yes, we do. Excellent. So um, the committee heard testimony from uh, from parents of folks serving in the military uh. about how it is sometimes very difficult for them to get their ballot back to the town clerk in time to be counted. And so we are putting in a provision in this bill that would allow for the electronic transfer of, of that ballot back to the town clerk's office. And then the town clerk's office has a process for printing that ballot, tabulating it with all the rest. We're talking about town meeting and uh, 
lots to report. Burlington Democrats expanded their plurality on the city council. The citizens of Burlington defeated by, looks to me like a pretty large margin, a proposal to create a police commission overseeing the police department. Mayor Marone Weinberger issued a statement uh, saying that this is a huge win for police reform in terms of rebuilding uh, the police department. And I'm wondering if there isn't a bit of a, a voter backlash going on in the city of Burlington. Um, Democrats now control that city council. Uh, they passed a carbon fee slash tax on new developments uh, and – uh, a series of other articles that the mayor supported, he came on the show, um, and uh, that were winners. Alderman In Rutland, Alderman Michael Dungis ousts Mayor David Allaire to lead uh, that city. That's – I'm, I'm not a Rutland guy. I don't know if that was an upset or not, but that's a big – because Allaire had beaten the former mayor, whose name I cannot remember, but uh, that was over – all sorts of uh, immigration issues, and uh, so we have a new mayor of Rutland. Um, uh, just cause eviction proposals passed in Essex and Winooski and failed in Brattleboro. That would require landlords to kind of prove uh, on the record why they want to oust uh, a tenant. By the way, we are taking your calls at 244-1777, 244 1776, and uh, we have Sarah Copeland Hansis here. Um, are there any trends that you noticed in town meeting off the top of your head that, you know, that we should be talking about, looking at? Well, you know, I found it interesting that um, while the legislature granted COVID flexibilities again this this uh, year for town meetings, by and large, most communities had have gone back to yeah. what they had before. So um, many communities have a, a traditional floor meeting uh, still the, and vote for their um, legislative body and their town budget from the floor. There were some communities uh, who took advantage of the flexibilities and, and either are delaying their um, their annual meeting until the springtime when they can meet in a area or a more outdoor location. And uh, and a couple communities um, maintained the Australian ballot. However, interestingly, there were a few communities who um, experienced Australian ballot for the first time during the pandemic and then decided to adopt it permanently. Mm. Uh, so Duxbury, for instance, uh, had a special town meeting uh, this past fall and permanently uh, switched over from a floor meeting to an Australian ballot for their municipal annual meeting. I gotta say, I love the floor meeting. Yeah, it's just great. It um, is. It's great fun. I went to my own um, town meeting in Bradford on Saturday, and uh, you know, it's just there's something really special about being with a group of neighbors who are going to yeah. argue about a particular point or a, an item in the budget. And at the end of the day, the budget might get raised and might get lowered, um, and you might have your mind changed by listening to the debate of your neighbors. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I, it, with our town meeting in East Montpelier in the gym of the elementary school was, um, was filled. Uh, I would say a third of the people were wearing masks. Mm. Um, so, which raises the question, do you think we're gonna go back to this 
Or is it a possibility that we could take a step back? Uh, I guess you have to be the health commissioner to, or a doctor to make that prediction, and even that'll be wrong. But I don't know. I felt like our town meeting was pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah, that was my observation in my hometown as well. And, um, you know, I think that for a lot of people who really love that uh, participatory democracy, um, you know, being able to to be there and amending the budget and and uh, you know listening to the debate of candidates for select board, a lot of people really missed it and really relished getting back to it. I want to raise an issue with you that you know very well, and that is the work that it takes to do this to to pull this stuff off. Uh, it's really fun to criticize people who are on select boards and school boards and in the legislature and in your office. But the work that it takes uh, to do these jobs is immense. Yes. And I was before you came in, I was reading a little note I wrote last night about Seth Gardner, the chair of our uh, select board, who's a dairy farmer and uh, and knows that town budget inside and out. And you could see that the the, the meeting was going – almost too smoothly for him. He wanted questions. He wanted controversy because he wanted to explain how this works and how that works. And he would jump in and he'd he inter- wanted somebody to ask him a tough oh. question oh. and only he would know the answer to it. He was interrupting. He, where that line he interrupted <laughs> the moderator several times to explain a certain appropriation or whatever. And, and I think he gets paid $2,000. Right, for the entire year. For the entire yes, year. For hours and it's hours crazy. and hours of work. Um, talk about that from your own experience. You were you were in the legislature for eighteen years. Eighteen years. You get paid, I don't know, six hundred bucks a week. Um, those of us who are old still think six hundred dollars a week is a lot of money, but it's <laughs> Doesn't not. Doesn't go very far. <laughs> it's not the reality, and yet these people work their tails off. What yeah. you know uh, at the at the municipal level? I don't get it. Well, you know, when you step up to serve on a municipal board, you're really doing it because you believe in your community and you want to make it better. You want to make it stronger. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, it's it, you have to be driven by the value of public service uh, because when you live in a democracy, it, it only works if you've got people who are willing to step up and, and, and lead and serve as a select board or city councilor. And, you know, it's really hard work because oftentimes, you know, it's your neighbor next door who you might be disagreeing yeah. with. And that can be really uncomfortable, which is why I think it's really important um, that we maintain that tradition of, uh, you know, coming together, talking about things, maybe disagreeing with our neighbors. But at the end of the day, you know, we all sit down to a, a slice of pie or the, you know, the luncheon that's put on by, you know, the local Lions Club. Well, uh, our lunch had some changes. Uh, you brought your own utensils. There were some COVID precautions. Mm-hmm. You brought your own utensils. You, you were you're supposed to email ahead of time the dish that you were going to bring. Uh, and it was just highly organized, actually. But, of course, that all fell away and everybody kind of just went to lunch anyway. So <laughs> you're right. It is a massive community building uh, operation. Yeah. And if we lose that... So, uh, town meeting is a state holiday. Mm-hmm. Not everybody obviously gets it off. Right. But it would be nice if we could make it the kind of holiday where 
most people have the day off. Right. And we had some sort of civic duty or civic promotional campaign to go to meeting. Yeah, we've had conversations um, about making election day or town meeting day a holiday for for a long time, you know, and there's there's really legitimate reasons why you would want to do that. Um, of course, on the day that everybody has off work, then of course many people want to go out for lunch right. or you know go right. go skiing. So you know, there's plenty of businesses who who simply can't shut down for that day. Yeah, we're talking about town meeting. I would note that in Barry Town, the school budget went down 94. To 703. So they've got to go back to the drawing board. Uh, the Barry Unified School District uh, narrowly voted to send the budget to voters uh, back in January, but it failed. So they're going to have to go back to the drawing board and vote again. Um, so Secretary Hans, Copeland hands us, there is something out there called electronic transfer voting. Yes. Sounds scary. <laughs> Well, it's really Tell us not. about it. It's not all that scary. Um, you know, currently, if you are deployed in the military or working overseas, you can have your ballot sent to you electronically. And typically what someone needs to do if they're deployed to somewhere in the Middle East or, or uh, you know, deployed in Europe, um, they would print out that ballot, fill it out, and return it um, in the mail, just like... Uh, just like you or I would if we were voting by mail. The problem is that um, mail service from that far away can can be slow. And if you didn't get your get around to filling out your ballot in time, a, a lot of people find that their ballot simply wasn't counted. Um, so this is an opportunity to return your ballot um, by electronic means. And the the way that gets counted once it gets returned to your town clerk's office is not unlike the way it would be counted if you had mailed it back because obviously when you print your ballot out you know on base overseas you're not printing it out on cardstock and it's not you know the the 14 inch paper like it is oftentimes when you go to vote in person and so your town clerk will uh, take that that paper that you printed out and mailed back and transfer it onto a tabulator readable piece of paper and feed it through the tabulator like the like anyone else's ballot. So this would be simply an electronic transfer back of that voting information, an image of your ballot, and the town clerk would transfer that in the same manner that they do now. Uh, and this takes an act of the legislature to implement this? It does, yeah. And where is that right now? The bill has passed the House um, just right before town meeting break, and so the Senate committee will be taking possession of it after um, after town meeting break. And, and have you taken a position on it? Yes, this was proposed by our office. Uh-huh. Uh, it is, you know, anytime our office sees something that serves as a barrier to keep someone from being able to vote when they are able to vote. We, we always like to look and say, is there something that we could do better? Could we do this differently to make sure that, that our military folks who are serving overseas, who are serving their country, can actually participate in their democracy? And so there's no chance for the Russians to hack the system and uh, stuff the electronic ballot boxes with all sorts of fraudulent no, ballots? No, because this is a communication between a voter and their town clerk. Right. And um, the town clerk 
would, uh, you know, check them off, make sure that, you know, they get one ballot and one chance at it. And, and so we feel pretty confident that we have the security in place to implement this in a way that's fair. In your short time in office, what has surprised you most that you, you know, didn't expect? Oh, office-wide? You know, yeah. I mean, did you go in there and say, oh, my God, I didn't have any idea how bad this was or how much fun this was or whatever? What's been your biggest surprise? So I think – and I probably should have predicted this – I didn't realize how much fun it was going to be to be able to walk into our state archives and immerse yourself in the history of the state of Vermont. Um, You know, anytime I visit a town clerk's office, I always like to go into the vault because I just like those big old books and I love the maps and the smell and the feel. Um, And now I'm in charge of our Vermont State Archives, so... You know, I can I can go in and and lose myself in history and and research all day long if I want to. Now it turns out that when you're secretary, you don't really have time to <laughs> to spend a lot of time immersed in in research. Um, but to know it's there is a really cool thing. What is the, what do you think the future is of town meeting? Uh, there are though there are many out there who say, oh, it's just performative. You know, you just you're just sitting there and you're voting on a few articles, but you're not real. This isn't real governance. I'm not sure I agree with that. But, it, you know, in 10 years, where do you think town meeting is going to be? Well, it's interesting because COVID taught us a lot about uh, uh. other ways of getting information out there. Um, you know, the fact that most of us can now follow along on our city council or our select board throughout the year because many of those meetings are available by Zoom. Um, I think it it has the potential to make people even more engaged and certainly better educated about what the challenges and the issues are in their community. So maybe it will be uh, the beginning of a resurgence of people's interest in in in-person town meeting where they can increase the budget or reduce the budget. so yeah, it's hard it's hard to predict, but I do know that that there have been a lot of these conversations happening around communities. I noticed that uh, we talk a lot about this show on the show about change, and that's why I asked you that question about the future of town meeting and w- w- what have been your biggest surprises. I noticed that the city of Winooski has elected for the first time a slate of city councilors who are all openly LGBTQ plus. That's great. Uh, possibly the first such time that's happened in the United, entire United States. Change is everywhere, and it seems like in your office, your sort of change, all uh, democracy change, huddles around you. Like you're the hub of of the changes in democracy. You try to make sure the good stuff is done without doing the bad stuff. Yeah. You know, we we recognize this as change, um, but really I think we could equally recognize it as uh, as attaining the ideal that we were supposedly based on uh. because representative democracy works best when the people who are um, doing the representing r- reflect the demographics of the community they represent. And so for far too long in our country's history – 
you had to be a landowner, you had to be white, uh, you had to be male. And I think it's pretty refreshing to see that um, we're, we're pushing past that. And in fact, we're elevating candidates who, uh, you know, who may not te- check those boxes. Okay, now I'm going to ask you one more question. This is a, a hard one. Oh, boy. Uh, I've spent, been spending some time in the legislature, and I have noticed a distinct uh, change and difference in the way that building functions. It seemed from 10, 15, 20 years ago, and you were there, you've, you've experienced both of this. I find it, uh, smarter. Uh, it's very hardworking. Uh, it's run by women. Um, we now have. Stop right there. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's the difference. So I want you to comment on that. Yeah. I mean, we're probably all going to get yeah. in trouble here, but as I was told <laughs> recently, uh, Political correctness is not the hallmark of this radio station. Uh, There's a change in the legislature. Jill Kerwinski, the Speaker of the House, has appointed uh, on purpose women to chair these committees and many, many vice chairs of committees that are new and young. Mm -hmm. Comment on that, if you would. It's a change. Yeah. So I was in the legislature for 18 years, and in that time I saw the the building as a whole uh, shift from being mainly led by the men who were elected to now being uh, to being very heavily dominant by uh, you know led by women, committee chairs, um, you know money chairs, yeah. caucus leaders, um, and what I observe is that it it the folks in leadership are collegial. They are respectful. They, you know, there isn't bluster and storming off when you don't get your way. There's a lot of coming together and talking through the issues. And it's one of the, I think, good things when women lead. That's it. But it's not a partisan thing. It's not Democrat versus Republican. It's more of a human difference. Yeah. It's the best I can come up with at the moment. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. Change comes to the Vermont legislature. It's, uh, yeah, I, I, I had a conversation with the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, Emily Kornheiser from Brattleboro, and, um, that's, there's a new, there's a new sheriff in town on that side of the, yeah. of the state house. And, uh, I, I asked her, how are you going to do all these paid family leave and childcare and universal school meals? And she looked me dead in the eye and said, we're going to do it all. And I said, well, well, you're going to, what's the deal? What's the grand plan? She says, no, we're going to do it all. We have to do it all. So we'll see. Secretary of State Copeland Hansis, thank you for joining us. Nice to be here. Kevin. Yeah, always good to talk about democracy in any way, shape, or form. And we do it right here on Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We are back. It's Kevin Ellis on VT Viewpoint on the friendly pioneer WDEV where we specialize in local sports. I always apologize to Brady Farkas when I do this, but I want to jump into some sports. Last Monday, I drove straight through from visiting my mother in New Jersey back to Vermont to get to the Barry Auditorium in time to see the Montpelier boys basketball team square off against rival Spalding. Spalding was undefeated and big and strong. They had beaten Montpelier twice during the regular season. Montpelier 
17 and 3 with a great season themselves was trying to figure out a way to get to their fourth straight Division II state championship. Montpelier jumped out to a quick lead, quick lead, Spalding climbs back, and gradually you think their size and tough defense will overwhelm the Solons, but then Ronnie Ryby Williams grabs a rebound and scoots coast to coast in a fabulous one-man fast break, and the tone of the game begins to change. I'm sitting in the first row of bleachers at the north end of the Barry Aud with the grumpy old men of hoops aficionados. We like to critique the kids and the coaching and, of course, second-guess the referees. It's a blast. But we forget this. This is really hard. What these kids and coaches do from Thanksgiving to March is very, very difficult. It takes effort, commitment, and a lot of grit. And in spectacular fashion, Montpelier wins the ball game, and this Saturday heads to its fourth title game at the Odd. And guess who we have on the show? Head coach of the Montpelier boys basketball team, Nick Foster. Welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin, thanks a lot um, for having me on. I, I really appreciate you asking me to come on the show. I'm looking oh, forward to this. Oh, our, it, the pleasure is ours. So first, congratulations. Um, what's it like to lose twice to Spalding, a really good team, and then figure out how to beat them and get to the finals? You know, we knew, well, we knew after our semifinal game last year when we beat Spalding that coming into this season, Spalding would be the team to beat in Division Two. So talented, great size, just a well-rounded team. And we also knew that it really wouldn't be about winning those first two games, uh, that everything we did throughout the preseason and then this, the, the regular season would be about trying to win that third matchup if we could get to that game. Um. Tell as I said, I was at the game. So, uh, what would take us take us behind the scenes? Uh, take us over to the bench in the locker room uh, as you're as you're getting out of the bus. Uh, you know, I've done it once as a coach at, at, in the, at the D four level. You know, you, you walk in there, the ushers are in the jackets. Uh, it's not like this is your first time. So you guys are veterans of this. Yeah, it's still so, uh, it's so exciting and it really takes your breath away to, you know, to, to walk up the stairs and see the packed house, uh, getting ready for a crosstown rivalry. Um, you really don't believe you're, you're going to play at the Barry Auditorium really until you, you ride that bus up the hill. Um, but once you get in, you know, you get in your locker room and, and you get your pregame routine in, um, and you get those first few minutes, uh, uh jitters out. Um, it's another ball game. The kids are ready to go. So uh, take us to the game. You uh you jumped out I believe to an 8-0 lead and then they climbed back. You know, how were you approaching the game? You were strategically. I mean, uh you know, what what were you thinking in the early going there? Yeah, I mean, we made a couple shots early and they didn't. So uh we knew 8 nothing wouldn't be enough against Spalding and that there was no doubt they would make a run. Um, strategically, Kevin, you know, we wanted to show Spalding a little bit of how we normally play. Um, and then we knew that we would change our style as the game went on. Our approach was to keep that game within two to three possessions as long as we could and just try to grab a lead sometime in the second half. Which you did. 
I, I, I gotta say, and I, I, I don't know, I don't know your team well enough to know whether the Ryby Williams coast to coast was the, a turning point in the game, but I must say it really, my jaw dropped when I saw him do that. It was a great, great play. Yeah, Ronnie has been a great player for us. Uh, not our leading scorer, um, but boy, he, he gets a ton of assists. He out rebounds his size and he can make end to end plays and, really change a game in one play. And that was a huge stretch for us, um, narrowing that gap heading into the half. And we got the game right back where we wanted it. We were back to within a couple possessions, and, and we knew we had a chance in the second half. And then your star, uh, Car- you don't like to single out stars, uh, but <laughs> your guard, Carson, uh, I I said that he had a quiet 30 points. Uh, I didn't. I thought he had 20, but then I, later on, I realized he had 30 on a, on a couple of very difficult scoop driving layups that were, he's probably been doing that all year for you. He has. Uh, Carson's been, been our leading scorer. Um, but we've had, you know, four or five different kids lead our team in scoring all year. And those three guards that start for us, uh, any one of them could lead our team in scoring in a single night. They're all so unselfish. And uh, the way Spalding defended us, it was an opportunity for Carson to really step up and have a big-time game, and he did it. He's so confident and so good offensively. Uh, he can score from uh, all three levels as well, um, and he, he showed up when we really needed it. Uh, you are outmatched size-wise by that Spalding team. Did you do anything specific to just to deal with that, or did you just tell your guys – just play as hard as you can. We did, uh, especially defensively. Um, we are outsized across the board. You know, I mean, their guards especially are bigger and stronger than our guards. Yeah. And their bigs are definitely bigger than ours. Yeah. But we have some length uh, with Andrew Tringe and Adif Milak, who comes off the bench for us, and Ronnie, uh, whose physicality and strength inside, inside is big for us. And so we had a zone prepared to to try to take away Spalding's interior looks. Um, we were going to have to live with them making some threes, uh, hopefully missing more than they made, um, and it worked out in the end for us. Uh, we talk about this as if we are uh, ESPN and that this is uh, March Madness or the NBA, and and you know it is. We forget that it is uh, probably the smallest of small-town high school basketball in the country, and yet it is super, super important. And I think uh, to the kids and to you, and uh, I want to ask you about the time it takes for you personally to put into this. It is Thanksgiving to March, and then uh, I was also told that these kids from Spalding and Montpelier know each other well and play in the offseason together on an AAU team. Uh, so you're at this 11 months of the year. We really are. I mean, a couple weeks off when the season ends, and then August is typically off. But uh, our kids are are playing 10, 10 months a year, 10 to 11 months a year, Um those Spalding kids too, and there's a lot of great friendships and relationships uh, in that rivalry as well, which is great. But the commitment that the kids put in, uh, our coaching staff, um, the parents, the volunteers, there's a lot of people. 
that go unnamed and unnoticed um, that make make a big commitment to our program throughout the entire year. And these kids, most of our kids, are playing multiple sports as well. They're soccer stars and and baseball stars, and so they're starring in other roles on other teams in high school athletics, uh, and can still make a great commitment to our basketball program. So, yeah, it's 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 quite a commitment. Uh, why do you do it? Why why bother? I mean, the bus rides, the late nights. Come on, you should be watching Netflix. Yeah, we love it. I mean, I just absolutely love it. Love yeah. the kids, um, you know, love the competitive uh, nature, preparing for opponents, um, preparing kids, uh, you know, the ups and the downs, um, just going back in the next day after a game to, to see the kids, and, and uh, it's just so much fun. Uh, I was told that Carson is in the gym in the morning uh, before school. Most of our kids will show up before school to get some shots up, um, and it's been like that for a long time. Uh, we practice an hour and a half a day, but most of our kids, if they can find another way in in the morning before school or at night or on the weekends um, to shoot around or work on their game, um, they will do that. They take every opportunity that they can. Okay, so you are headed Back to the finals, and I believe that game is, let's promote it. I think it's at 7.30 at night. Is that right? Yeah, we are the last game of the day. You're the last game of the day. Uh, and do you, you do not know who your opponent is. Correct. We'll find out tonight. North Country and Fairhaven play. And you will be there scouting uh, because you get you get a $10,000 bonus for scouting that extra night, right? Absolutely. You know, the, the beauty of... Uh, the new streaming services that we've seen these teams a lot, but we haven't had a chance to sit courtside and get a feel for their size and athleticism yet. So we'll be there. Nick, the, uh, you have played, you may face Fairhaven in the final and you have a history with them. We do. Uh, our first trip, I guess, four years ago was, um, against Fairhaven in the, in the state championship game. And we lost in one, one great game. We lost by one point. Uh, to Fairhaven on that day. Okay, so I got to stop you there. What's it like to lose by one in the Barry Auditorium? Boy, I'll tell you, <laughs> you, it's hard. Uh, you have to almost be prepared as a coach um, to lose. If you do lose, uh, how are you going to handle your team? Um, because losing on in the championship, you're going to stand there and uh, and acknowledge your opponent and and watch them celebrate and watch them achieve, you know, greatness and, and, uh, and you didn't quite, you know, get what, um, you thought you might deserve there. You played your butt off and, and, and you come up just short. And so you got to stand there and act like champions. Uh, and I noticed that you have a son that plays for you. I do. My son Clayton is a sophomore on the team. And what is that like? Cause that can be, that's a minefield. <laughs> it could be a minefield. Um, he's been part of this group since he was uh, just a little guy with the rest of these kids. So um, it's been it's been great. You know, he has a great attitude and he's he's um, a great teammate. And uh, you know, our whole team is just wonderful kids and, and great parents. And so there have been no minds in the minefield, so to speak. You you mentioned uh, parents, and I you know I 
I often talk to other coaches who say, you know, I tell the parents that I don't want to talk to them and they should stay out of my way. And, and I always took the opposite, uh, tack of saying, you know, I wanted the parents to be involved as long as they were positive and constructive. So how do you handle, you know, we, we see the horror stories all over the internet. Uh, how do you handle parents? Yeah, we like to have the parents involved. I mean, everybody is everybody is part of the program at Montpelier. You know, the coaches, the players, and the parents, administration. I just think that parent involvement is so critical from volunteering, um, preparing pregame, you know, goodie bags for us, uh, preparing team dinners, um, you know, getting kids to and from the gym. Uh, we just really want to have a positive experience for everybody, and that, that that includes the parents. Yeah. And some of your players are going to go on and play sports in college. I know Ronnie Ryby Williams, is, I, I think he's going to go play soccer at St. Michael's College. Uh, there's, it, it, you know, the, do you think about that? Do you think about, okay, I'm not just preparing to play in the finals of the Barry Aud, I'm helping prepare these kids for what they want to do after high school that's most important um you know we really uh we don't talk about winning and losing a lot um we talk more about you know the process and the journey and enjoying everything and again like like i mentioned acting like champions um in our communities and um we've had a, a long list of kids go on now and be successful playing in college, um, be become successful adults in their communities, and and that's most important. Really trying to prepare them for what's next um, and, and what they're going to have to uh, endure in college athletics. And it's been nice to have alumni go through those experiences, and those alumni are close with our players now, and they're able to come back and share their experiences. So, um, again, yeah. Nick, how did you high school more on a personal note, how did you come to all this? I mean, you've been at this for more than a decade. Um, it's it's exhausting. Uh, what you know, what's your before Montpelier? Uh, how did you come to basketball? Well, I, I played a little bit in high school. I actually was cut as a uh, as a senior at Spalding. There you um, go. And, there, it's but, always uh, it from you to Michael Jordan. It's always the same story. Yeah, I was cut from a team that won one game, so that tells you how good I was. <laughs> Fran, um, Pien- I Fran Pienard was probably the coach who cut you. He was, he yeah. was, yeah. Uh, with good reason, I'm sure. So, <laughs> uh, but I, I always loved the game, and I, I didn't really know that I'd ever come into coaching, but I just kind of got into coaching by happenstance. Um, Joe Salerno got the job at Montpelier High School. Uh, my brother was assisting him, and Joe asked me to come on as a team manager, and I fell in love with it. I just took every opportunity I could to learn, and um, and then just kept going from there. A couple of years with the Frosties, and fortunate enough to get get the job at Montpelier High School, and I've been able to stay. So, okay, so he just dropped that into the conversation. The, he spent two years with the Vermont Frosties, which was started by. My friend from Cornwall, Vermont, Alex uh, from Sports Illustrated, Wolf, the author, and uh, Will Voigt was the coach. But uh, 
I would imagine at the Frost Thieves, you got a serious lesson in how to run a pro. The thing that I learned in running a, a D4 program was that it, you, it was a whole program to run. It was not just about practice. It wasn't just about the games. It was your, as you say, it's about the parents. It's about the meals. It's about getting kids to places on time. And boy, at the Frost Thieves, where you get to rub elbows with some, some pro people, you really learn how to run a full program. Absolutely. It was a great experience for me. Um, I wasn't necessarily coaching, so to speak. Um, I, I, I did get to that point, but my role early on was, uh, you know, planning team meals at local restaurants and right. uh, anything that you can imagine, bus rides, um, getting, getting the guys in the gym for training uh, when we're out of town. A, a lot of different things that had nothing to do with game day. Um, I had some game day, you know, responsibilities, but at practice, uh, the one thing I learned, uh, Coach Strom, he was, in, you know, very insistent that bring a notepad, take every note possible. And uh, when my experience was done with the Frosties, boy, I had a ton of notes um, that I was able to, and experiences that I was able to take on to meet at uh, Montclair High School. Take us through, if you would, for the, Basketball junkies in our audience, uh, one of whom is the assistant uh, Harwood girls coach on the other side of the glass here in the studio. Uh, what's a practice like at Montpelier High School? Uh, if I was sitting in the bleachers, what would I see? Yeah, we, we everything is timed. We try to keep things short, um, focused, but if. Overall, you would see us playing a lot, um, and and what I mean is, we we play a lot in practice, five on five. So, regardless of what we're working on, um, whether that is offensive, um, defensive things, rebounding, everything that we do typically turns into a five on five competition, up and down. Whether that's two trips or three trips, um, we really want the kids to play as much as they can in practice and, uh, and, and mimic a game. And, and our practices are not perfect by any means. We're not striving for perfection in uh, most on-air drills or anything like that. We, uh, we want to kind of create chaos in practice yeah. um, because the games are chaotic. Right. Yeah, it's so true. It, you, you Coaches spend, I think they make a mistake when they, they spend a lot of time on a set offense in practice or uh, zone defense. And, you know, how many times do you really get to run a set offense in a game, uh, especially at a place like the Odd where their nerves and adrenaline are, they're up 20%. It's almost, if you're, it's almost never going to work out the way that you, you plan that five on O, you know? Um, so, we will we will do some stuff five on zero, but typically we'll start with with the whole part and just put it all together five on five, and then we'll go back and and show uh, some corrections five on zero, and then we will reconnect and do it five on five again. Um, uh, Nick, last question: the future of high school sports. Do you feel like it's uh, in Vermont? Do you feel like it's healthy? Do you feel like uh, changes need to be made? Uh, what's the future of your program and high school sports in general? I feel like high school sports are healthy for the most part. Um, but, boy, I know there's a, lo- a lot of uh, discussion. Um, you know, there's from parents arguing and 
on court and off court antics. And, um, you know, I just, I think that, you know, kids, kids need a healthy experience. I think they need an opportunity to just play more when they're younger. Um, and I, I think that that probably comes down to, uh, some coaching at the youth level and not the youth coaches, but, um, some more experienced coaches helping these youth coaches and, uh, youth programs really develop the youth, uh, so that their high school experience can be, um, a more rewarding experience. Well, it sure is different because they're on these screens now and, uh, that must be a challenge for you to get them off those screens and get them talking to each other. <laughs> it is. Um, and again, we have to just kind of understand that we have a different youth than we did 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, kids have a shorter, um, attention span. So what we do needs to, um, you know, have a shorter window. We can't ask kids to focus and pay attention for 20, 25 minutes on one task. It needs to be quick um, and on to the next thing. Well, Nick Foster, the head coach of the Montpelier Solons boys basketball team, they are headed to the uh, their fourth straight uh, cha- championship game at the Barry Auditorium, 7.30, Saturday night, uh, and they don't know who they're playing, but they'll know after tonight. Nick Foster, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks, Kevin. That was really enjoyable. Thanks okay. a lot. Okay. Congratulations and best of luck. Thank you. Okay. Nick Foster, the head coach of the Montpelier boys basketball team. That's, uh, that's going to be a game. Uh, get there early. <laughs> it's, it's all of Montpelier will be there, but, uh, there, he said some things in that interview that a lot of coaches don't say. And clearly there is something going on at the Montpelier uh, boys basketball program that is not happening in, in a lot of other programs. So that's refreshing to hear. Good luck to those guys uh, as they go to the Barry Ord on Saturday, 7.30. I will be there. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we'll take a break. You're listening to WDEV. In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. We're back on Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we are opening the phone lines, and we're going to talk about the news. It's town meeting, post-town meeting day. It's full-on Barry Auditorium, uh, boys basketball. It is Norwich hockey tonight. God, you don't even know what to go to. It is UVM men's and women's. The women are playing in the final of their conference championship, I believe, on Thursday uh, hard to know what games to go to, but that interview with Nick Foster, I got a comment on that. The, um, it was really interesting to hear him talk about how he has built such a successful program at Montpelier High School. And the key seems to be, uh, not just his calm demeanor, <laughs> but, um, 
the way he's put together a youth program with good coaching at the younger levels so that by the time uh, these student athletes get to him at the high school level, they understand what it means to play, uh, what it means to play hard, what it means to, uh, how to how to behave, how to conduct yourself and all those sort of old fashioned values. But uh, he clearly has figured out how to take uh, modern kids uh, who are spending all this time on screens and turn them into athletes. Uh, who are leading meaningful lives, and it's really, really exciting to hear from him. Uh, 244-1777. I'll be at the Barry Auditorium on Saturday. I haven't looked at the schedule for what the uh, early games are, but that 730, uh, that 7.30 game, boy, I can't imagine a better place to be at, on, on Saturday night. Maybe Norwich Hockey is, is as good a place to be, but I'm going to choose, I'm going to go to the Barry Auditorium. Um, uh, Town meeting uh, seemed to go well. We had Secretary of State Sarah Copeland Hansis here, and uh, it seems that Vermont has returned to the tradition of in-person town meeting with floor voting for the most part. Um, in my town meeting, as I said, people were wearing, I would say, a quarter to a third are wearing masks, but uh, the uh, traditional lunch was had, uh, and uh, we'll see if anybody... Uh, Fall sick, but uh, but all things seem to go well. The uh, on that note, on a COVID note, uh, we're going to have Ann Miller, who is the uh, executive director and <clears throat> founder of the N95 Project, which is a, a, a nonprofit organization which uh, which brings masks uh, to people who need them, uh, and she lives in Essex, Vermont. And uh, when COVID hit, she started this program to get masks from manufacturers and then sells them at, at discount rates to those who need them. She's going to be joining us, I hope, next Wednesday, uh, because I see that, uh, you know, this COVID thing is just not going to leave us. I see that the House, Republican House uh, Committee investigating the origins of the pandemic uh, opened its first hearing Wednesday uh and ma- and making an aggressive case that the virus may have been the result of a laboratory leak uh there's no smoking gun proving a lab origin hypothesis but the growing body of circumstantial evidence suggests a gun that at the very least is warm to the touch said Jamie Metzel a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and a former state department official um I'm hesitant to wade into very controversial territory, especially on a subject that I don't know a lot about. So I think that means we need to have a show on this uh, because th- I can feel it coming. Those who say that the virus was the result of something that went on in a Chinese lab uh, have been drowned out by those who say that they were conspiracy theorists and others. Uh, they're gonna, they're about to have their day in the sun, uh, courtesy of the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. So, uh, I think we should probably have Ann Miller on to talk about masks and we should have, uh, uh, experts on that I can find who can talk about this, uh, alleged lab leak. Um, 
and we'll go from there. We'll take a deep breath and wade into the politics of, uh, of COVID. Uh, they are deep and it's a deep, dark rabbit hole, but you know what? We can, we can do this. Um, so as I said, the phone lines are open, 244-1777. Guess what I did last night? I watched the Chris Rock special, comedy special on Netflix. Um, he, uh, he swears way too much for my taste. However, he is very funny. <laughs> he is wildly inappropriate. Uh, he is really, really funny. Uh, you find yourself laughing out loud and then you find yourself sort of covering, even though you're sitting alone on your couch, you sort of cover your ears and your eyes because you're kind of worried that if there's anybody around, I mean, what he's saying is so inappropriate. Uh, about everybody. And I think that's the point, right? Is to, is to make it as inappropriate as a, about as many different people as possible, including himself. Um, and of course, uh, w- of course he ended by talking about the famous punch at the Oscars, um, in which the famous actor Will Smith walked on stage and punched him in the chin. Um, and, uh, and Chris Rock uh, lays it all out and says that uh, it was Will Smith's wife that started all this, not him. Uh, so uh, it, it's funny. Uh, give it a look. Uh, also, on Friday of this week, we're going to have a special uh, segment on the Oscars and films. Our guest will be noted editor and film critic Keenan Ellis. Yes, we have the same last name. Uh, he'll be calling in from California. He's an expert on the Oscars and all of the films. Uh, you know the type, people who go to films all the time at the Savoy in Montpelier and the Capitol in Montpelier and the Paramount in Barry, and they've seen them all. So he, he delves deep in all things film, and we'll have him on the show on Friday, I believe in the 1030 hour, but uh, I'll... Uh, watch my Twitter feed for scheduling uh, updates. Karen in Hardwick, you're on the line. Welcome to the show. Hi. I'm just wondering if you could get an interview with Tulsi Gabbard. Ah. Oh, you're really, Karen, you're really pushing me to get controversial here, aren't you? Well, I don't think she is. I think she makes more sense than any of the choices we've been given. So can you can, can you go into that in more depth, Karen? Well, she's she's not a rabid Republican or Democrat. She just quit the Democrat Party. She's been in the military, and she talks sense. And I don't get to hear her very much. I'm not online. Got it. And I get most of my news from WDEV, so I'd really like to hear what she has to say. That's a great suggestion. I'll tell you what. I'll call her communications director. It's amazing. The the internet is an amazing thing. I'll send an email to her communications director and I'll ask Gabbard on the show. Well, us poor dirt farmers can't afford it, so <laughs> we we'll, depend on you. We'll uh, thank you very much. Uh, what kind of radio do you have? I have a thirty-year-old AM/FM radio. Oh gosh, I think we we all need that, don't we, Karen? You know what? I was in the hospital for a while, two different hospitals. They have no radio. Yeah. They have 60 channels of bad TV and no radio. 
<laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I'm going to go out. Let's see. Where am I going to go? I'll go to Williston to Best Buy. And they must have an old, uh, just a, a, an AM FM radio. It's a, it's a great idea. And Karen, your, uh, your suggestion about, you know, I, I frankly, I've been avoiding going down this rabbit hole of COVID, um, because it's so controversial, but I, I agree with you. I do think it really deserves, there's a lot coming out now. I even saw a, I, I heard it on the radio. I think on WDV, I think Lee Cattell was talking about it, about a new study that is now saying that natural immunity can be, uh, as effective as, uh, vaccines in terms of warding off COVID. I don't know if that's true. I heard it on the news. Uh, we'll confirm it. And um, I think we'll, well, we'll do a show a on treasure. it. If Lee said so, I'll believe it. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> if he's listening, uh, we'll never hear the end of that. Uh, Karen, <laughs> thanks for calling in. Bye-bye. We're going to take a break. And we're going to come back on the other side with more open phones with suggestions for shows. Thank you, Karen and Hardwick. That was great. Uh, wow. No internet. Good for her. You're listening to WDEV. I'm Kevin Ellis and it's Vermont Viewpoint. We'll be back right after these messages. We're back. Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis and the phones are lighting up. We're going to go right to Mary in East Barnard. Mary, welcome to the show. Hi, Kevin. I'm calling from East Barnard because I'm dog-sitting here, so I'm listening to you on my laptop. But I have, oh gosh, that radio I have must be 40 years old. We bought it for my my father-in-law for his wood shop years ago, and that's what I listen to. It's an AM, FM, little tiny radio, and I love it, and I love WDEV. So Karen's call just really made me smile. Well, you mean, so Mary from East Barnard is really Mary from Randolph. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me get this straight. When the power is that a battery operated radio? I think it probably could be. I haven't looked at the back of it. So, so when the power it. goes out, you could still get WDEV. Yeah, I'll have to check into that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it probably does have a battery backup, but I love it, and especially since it was my father-in-law's, and it's just great. It's on. If I'm home, the radio's on. How did your uh, town meeting go in Randolph, Mary? Um, I, I haven't. I don't know. I went in. I drove in. I voted, and I left. So I don't know the results. I'll have to get the local paper and see what happened. The local paper being the Herald of Randolph, my buddy Tim Calibro, editor and owner. The Herald. That's right. Yeah, I love it. Best email address in in Vermont: ourherald.com. Mm-hmm, for sure. Anyway, great, Mary. Great show. Great show, Kevin, as always. Thank, thank you for you calling. For call. okay. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> I'm just giggling. That was That's so fun to talk to Mary, as always. Michael from Cabot is on the line. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey. So I'm going to go. I'm going to jump down that rabbit hole with you a little bit, I guess. Oh, great. Let's um, go. So I'm going to start with. I find it hard to believe that we'd have to deny that it could have been an experiment that leaked the lab. Um, in high school, and I went to school here in, in Vermont, Not, I didn't graduate from Cabot. I, I, I graduated from Hartford. But I had a science teacher that 
we did. We drew our own blood. I know my blood type from a freshman or sophomore science class. Wow. And then he also, he had traveled somewhere, and he had a tapeworm at one point in my time in his class. And it was somewhere on his forearm, and he put it on a stick and drew it out because he wanted to do an experiment. Like, and he, he involved us in it. And it was right there in front of us, and we learned that that was a, you know, it's no different than we used to dissect frogs. Like, we know it happens. I don't know if they still dissect frogs in science class or not, but. I, you know, I think it's, I think the COVID thing, it's, you know, it was, it was on the Lysol bottles in the sixties or seventies because they had a vaccine for it for cows back way back when. Right. May not be applied to humans, but I'm, I'm sure there's some relevant details there that could participate. Well, uh, so help me out here because we, we need to do a show on this. And I'm trying to figure out the most informative, uh, get and, and, and informed guests to have on the show to talk about the origins of COVID, uh, the way we responded as a society to it, the lockdowns, the masking. I kind of want to take the whole thing on and I, I'm struggling with the right guest to have on. What would, well, well, who do you want to hear from? I mean, I think that you'd, you'd have to cross over the lines. You'd have to, you know, assess the political facts of food shortages, political correctness, you know, overpopulation, and where we're going scientifically and technologically. I think it's a bigger conversation than just just what is COVID. Right. Like, COVID's COVID, but what does it do to our whole economic and financial and how we how we run the roads it's kind of like even with the electric vehicles you can only drive 200 miles at a time right right well I drive 200 miles every day well and you saw that you saw the headline you're seeing the headlines now about avian flu in in chickens and birds um you talk about overpopulation and food systems and I'm starting to get a feeling that COVID's kind of tip of the iceberg rather than a one-time thing. Is, are you getting at that? So I've heard a radio show twice, and it was not on WDV, but I listened. I'm a radio junkie, so there's that. Good man. But I've, I've listened to this podcast from about rats and how they transferred from – how they started to associate with people and how they chased, you know, the Norway rat is what everybody knows, the Norway rat, the, the New York City rat, whatever, comes all the way from Western Asia some decades ago, long, long time, hundreds of years ago, maybe even thousands. They, they started migrating, like, on ships. They were like, oh, there's a food supply. There's warmth. They realized that people were warm. So now they do the same thing. That's why they travel in the subway system in New York City. So this hour-long documentary started to, like, say, and that's how, you know, eventually that's how we ended up with disease and, and all this other stuff. And and there's the experiment they talk about in that radio show. They basically put all these rats in, in a confined area, and the tighter and tighter we get, the more and more reactionary we go. And then we can, and from there, the way the rats reacted in the experiment, we could say, well, shit, that's kind of what's going on with our gun violence and our school shootings and all that. Like we're kind of being put into a place where we don't always fit in, you know? Right. 
you know? Lack of, a, lack of there's space. A, there's a huge line there. And I think they're all relevant. I think it's a bigger bucket social, socially, you know, socially, economically, however you want to put it, you know, as, you know, the civic responsibility, how do we, how do we respect each other? Well, that's and, good. And I, I will take your, uh, recommendations on. So what you want to do, and I agree with you a hundred percent, this is not, um, this is not a, a traditional sort of democratic, republican, partisan kind of political, uh, subject. It's crossing a lot of different lines. I mean, you know, we may need a farmer. Day to day life. Yeah. Day to day life and how you actually run a civil society. Well, and, and how we maintain our our own individuality as well. Right. You know, sometimes I think we talk about too much, but at the same time, we learn a lot by talking. <laughs> freedom and unity. There, it always comes back to that, like the the freedom of the individual and the and the welfare of the group as a whole, and the tension yeah, between and those two. Respect to your peers. Right. Well, Michael, you know, the coach, the coach said it really well, you know, you know, you gotta, you gotta build everybody up and you gotta let them be who they are. And if, and if you're not a selfish person and you can respect the next person, you become a better team player and we're all in this world together. So whether we're China or Russia or Ukraine or the the Americas, like we're here, we have to, we have to exist or we're not gonna. Well, uh, that coach, uh, four times to the Barry championship game, something's going on at that program that deserves deeper investigation, like a Harvard Business School, uh, white paper case study, cause, uh, something's going on there that's happening really, really well. And, and he's definitely a, a well-spoken individual. Yeah. Yeah. I was really impressed. So, well, thanks for the call. We got to sign up. Thanks, uh, Kevin. We'll see you next time. That is our show for today. Uh, we cover all the bases here on VT Viewpoint. You can email us at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. If you want to be a guest on the show or send us a suggestion for a show like Michael from Cabot just did, drop me a line, uh, 244-1777. That's the studio. And uh, send your suggestions. This live show becomes a podcast where you can listen on your own time at WDEVradio.com. Click on the podcast button. Please like us and recommend us to others. You can find me at KevinKEllis.com where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter called Conflict of Interest. It's free. I'm on Twitter at Ellis52K. I write about a lot of this stuff on the blog and on Twitter. Be sure to check out my new podcast, Conflict of Interest, which drops today, actually. Uh, first guest is Maggie Haberman from the New York Times talking about uh, her experience with Donald Trump in her book. Uh, you can find the trailer on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. That interview took place right here on WDEV. I'll be back Friday. We're talking about the Oscars and a bunch of other subjects. As always, we'll talk politics in Vermont and the nation, the snow in my dooryard, and everything else on my mind and yours. Our show is directed, produced, engineered, and managed by, oh no, he's on vacation. So Greg is in the booth taking us uh, to the end here. Thanks so much for joining us. It's uh, Kevin Ellis. We'll see you right back here on Friday on VT Viewpoint. Live radio on the friendly pioneer, WDEV.